So I'd like to spend just a few uh, moments tonight reflecting on a statement that G.K. Chesterton once said that the Christian faith is a religion of little things. Jesus talked a lot about little things. He spoke of mustard seeds, for instance, and He said that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain, just a single grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. And then Isaiah 9, which was written somewhere around 750 years before Jesus was born, anticipating His coming, anticipating His first advent or His birth. And Isaiah said this, that the coming Messiah would multiply the nation and increase its joy. To us a child, the smallest of all humans, is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be on this child's shoulders of the increase of his government and of peace, or of shalom, the comprehensive flourishing of every person, every place, and everything, everywhere. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And so what I'd like to do is talk in the context of Christianity being a religion of little things, about the advent that was, the advent that is, and the advent that is yet to come. But first, the advent that was. That's what we're here tonight celebrating. The first advent, the first coming of Jesus, the birth of the Savior, which shows us, among a million other things, the latent power of small things. If you think about a single seed, pick any seed you want. The seed that Jesus chose when He taught about seeds was the mustard seed, which was the smallest known seed of His time. A single seed by itself, words like unimpressive, ignorable, crushable, come to mind, maybe invisible. But when it germinates and under the right conditions, that single seed also has the power to crush concrete. It has power to become a sprout, and then a tree, and then an orchard, and then many orchards, and then to cover the whole world with more and more orchards. One single seed actually has inside of it the power to feed the entire world. That's how much power is in there. But as a seed, as that tiny little thing, that tiny little power-packed thing, the seed is easy to dismiss. Just like it's easy to dismiss an infant born outdoors to an adolescent girl in the dirt among animals and their feces and their urine. The town, the little town of Bethlehem, and the equally little and equally insignificant town of Nazareth, neither of them resembled Davidson County or Williamson County. 
If Jesus were born in Tennessee, as one of our, uh, one of our teaching uh, uh, pastors mentioned a few weeks ago, He would have been born in Grundy County, the poorest of all counties in Tennessee, the county that we never hear about on the news, the county that's most easily forgotten in the state of Tennessee. That is where Jesus would have likely chosen to be born had He been born in the 21st century in the state of Tennessee. His adult life, He was a blue-collar worker with calluses, on his hands, blisters on his feet, experienced adversity everywhere he went. He was poor all of his life, homeless some of his life, no networks, no education, no reputation. And then he died in disgrace. He was no longer welcome in the temple. He was regarded as an enemy of the state and subversive. And he was ruthlessly nailed to a cross, which was the most vicious and shameful form of execution outside of the city gates on something resembling a trash heap. That was the first advent. No hot chocolate in sight. Cheeks were not nice and rosy or comfy cozy. We weren't snuggled close close together like two birds of a feather would be. It was ignorable. It was a small thing, just like a mustard seed. That's the advent that was, but then there's the advent that is. The progress that the seed has made over the years, over the centuries, that some eyes have been trained by the Holy Spirit to see and to celebrate, like we're here tonight, to look at it and celebrate it tonight. We live in a world that is driven by Darwinian principles, that only the strong survive, that only the powerful get ahead, that only empires can build kingdoms and gain momentum in the world in which we live. And yet we still have the words from Mary, the adolescent virgin teenager of the first century Middle Eastern refugee fame, when she said, God has brought down specifically this child inside of me, speaking in the past tense, has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. She's speaking in the past tense about the future because the future is that certain in her heart and in her mind. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And now here we are, 2,100 years after the fact, and cities, small cities like Bethlehem, ignorable cities like Nazareth and Grundy County, and people like Mary and Joseph and Jesus, all of them famous all over the world. Three-fourths of the world today knows their names and knows their stories. One-fourth, or a full 25% of the world today, has bowed down to this child in love 
and allegiance to this child that 25% of the world at least knows as the seed who would crush the serpent's head. Mighty empires, though, like Pharaoh's Egypt, like, like Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, like the great and mighty and oppressive Assyria, like King Herod, like Pontius Pilate. Isn't it interesting how these leaders and empires that were winning at the Darwinian game are now merely supporting actors, really just extras, accessories to the story of little Jesus and of little Mary and of little Joseph. You know, this past Sunday, a uh, week ago today, I shared a little bit about uh, Walker Percy, the southern novelist who was also a Christian. And if you would ask Walker Percy why he was a Christian, his answer was this, because Israel exists and the Hittites don't. Little bitty Israel still exists by the power of God, that same nation, that same small, obscure, insignificant, enslaved nation from whom the Messiah would be born still exists. And yet the mighty world empire, the Hittites, none to be found. You know, somebody texted me after that message and said, more Walker Percy, please. It was a, a person who's in publishing and books and such. And I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll give you a direct excerpt this time. And so here's the direct excerpt from Walker Percy. Where are the Hittites? Why does no one find it remarkable that in most world cities today there are Jews, but not one single Hittite? Even though the Hittites had a great flourishing civilization, while the Jews nearby were a weak and obscure people. When one meets a Jew in New York or New Orleans or Paris or Melbourne, it is remarkable that no one considers the event remarkable. What are they doing here? But it is even more remarkable to wonder, if there are Jews here, why are there not Hittites here? Where are all the Hittites? Show me one Hittite. Show me one Babylonian. Show me one Assyrian. Just one. Show me one Roman Caesar or one Roman centurion. All of these mighty empires come crashing down into the form of something tiny and ignorable, and those that were tiny and ignorable have the most famous names in the world. 2,100 years later. But what's also remarkable is that we also have a place in this story, because the second advent was the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and that Holy Spirit is not only with, but inside of every single person around the world 
who has put hope in this Christ child. And that has led to a better world. C.S. Lewis put it this way, if you read the history books, you will find that those who did the most for the present world were the ones who thought the most of the next. And over the centuries, this has proven to be true. Wherever the poor have had their dignity restored, wherever orphans have been placed in families, wherever human slavery has been confronted and abolished, wherever women and minorities were stood up for and empowered, wherever the truth was spoken to power, wherever beautiful art was created, wherever the sick and elderly were given attention and care. Christians have been and still are right in the center of those stories and on the forefront of them as well. And that's the way it's always been since Pentecost. And they're also more private, seemingly small acts driven by this Spirit who came at the second advent to indwell us and to live His life through us. Small acts, seemingly, that promote things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Small acts like continuing year after year to say yes to a marriage vow. Continuing to worship God with God's people, to serve, to give generously and quietly and faithfully over the course of years, to forgive when injured, to apologize when you've done the injuring, to opt out of gossip, to speak a word of encouragement, to show up at a funeral, to work at whatever you've been given to do with all of your heart. Every seemingly small, insignificant, ignorable act is an act of defiance and, in fact, is an act that blows a hole in the gates of hell. That's the second advent, the advent that is. But then there's also the advent to come, which Isaiah spoke of when he talked about the, did you hear it? The increase of his government, the increase of his rule. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations, forces the nations to prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. Turns out Darwin was right. The strong does survive. It's just that we don't have the eyes to see who the strong ones are and who the weak ones are. The one who will come in power has already come and of the increase of His government, there will be no end. And as it says in the later chapters of the last book of the Bible, He's making all things new, and at His second return, His second advent, which is yet to come, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, and He will make all things new continuously. And it finally closes that teaching with these words, these words are trustworthy and they're true. Trustworthy and true. Or as Lewis also said, this is what Christianity is. It's the myth that is also a fact. Rooted in time, space, history. The happily ever after story that also happens to be true. Death in reverse. As one of CPC's own artists has 
titled his own album, one of his own albums. This is a picture, if we can imagine it, of the future after the second advent of Christ, where every day we become stronger. Every day we become younger than the one before. Every day we become more intelligent than the one before. Every day we have more capacity for things like wonder and productive work and loving others and serving God than we did the day before, forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't know if anybody outside of Scripture has pictured this better than C.S. Lewis in his book, The Last Battle from the Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia has been captive for many, many years to the oppression of the White Witch, and then Aslan returns to establish a new order. Under the White Witch, it was always winter and never Christmas. But when Aslan returns, here's the description. We can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after, but for them it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. The advent that was, the advent that is, promised to us the advent that is yet to come. You could call it, as Lewis did, an everlasting spring in which it will always be Christmas. Can you imagine that? He comes to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. As Mary did on that fateful day, let's treasure these things in our hearts now as we observe the lighting of the Christ candle.